Today's Mother's Day, and it's a day for us to pay tribute to mothers. There are a number of stories and traditions as to when and how Mother's Day got started. Anna Jarvis claimed the top spot of being the one that was really instrumental in getting it started in that she uh, persuaded uh, then-President Woodrow Wilson to establish the second Sunday in May as a day of national recognition of mothers. However, I found it interesting that the woman who promoted it so strongly and wanted the recognition for being the founder of it spent all of her life savings in court issues fighting to discontinue it, not because she had lost her her zeal for mothers, and that might have been questioned to begin with, but because it had become so commercialized. She objected to the commercialization of Mother's Day to the point that it said that she spent all of her life savings in attempting to stop the commercialization of it. And if not, then just to discontinue the holiday. Julia Ward Howe, who is the writer of the Battle Hymn of the Republic, um, actually many years before uh, initiated a Mother's Day uh, with um, the recognition in 1914 by President Woodrow Wilson that was preceded by uh, Mother's Day in 1879. And uh, hers was more of a war protest than it was of an observance of Mother's Day. She called mothers together to get them to protest against war to protect their sons. But you can go way beyond that. You can go back to the Roman Empire and uh, recognize that even before the Roman Empire, the Greeks had a recognition of Mother's Day, but as the Greeks did most things with their mythology, it turned into more of a dominance and and, uh, uh, ritual uh, for some kind of goddess than the recognition of mothers for their achievement. 250 years before the time of Christ, the Roman Empire uh, followed that Greek tradition as well. And um, it was a day to recognize mothers, but they focused upon the mother goddess. And so today we find Mother's Day being observed in more than 40 countries. They don't all observe it on the same day, but 40 different nations recognize mothers and certainly the important role that they play. We come this morning to remember mothers and to look back toward the Word of God and understand perhaps more fully what God has set forth and what He has designed for mothers. In His current series that we have titled Understanding Current Events in the Light of Bible Prophecy, the most prominent current event this week in our in our nation has to do with mothers. As a matter of fact, this document here, um, this is what was leaked uh, to the uh, press today. And uh, if this proves to be valid, and this is a draft of supposedly the decision by the United States Supreme Court. If this stands, there's going to be a whole lot more mothers next year than there were this year. It's almost impossible to know how many abortions there have been. Uh, One of the newscasters, uh, Judge uh, Piro, Jeannie Piro, claims there's 63 million abortions a year. 
So that would mean this time next year there would be 63 million more mothers than there were this year. Assuming that this stands and that abortion is dealt with then in the state level, not all abortions, of course, would stop. But the value of motherhood led to the Roe v. Wade decision many years ago. Not speaking of it in a positive way, but actually the devaluation of mothers brought that about. But the events that we are seeing today in society and certainly in the realm of the family were prophesied many years ago. In Second Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> a text that we have used a number of times in this series, says this, Know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into homes and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs was also. And thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived." Reluctance is what got us to the point where we are today. Reluctance continues to set the props on the stage of life for that final act of biblical prophecy that we look forward to. There's a reluctance to glorify God, to be thankful to God, to recognize the authority and the direction of God. Listen to what Romans chapter 1 says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible men, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections, for their women did change the natural use of that which is against nature, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, 
men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of the air which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, deceit, uh, debate, deceit, malignity, and whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despite, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they who commit such things are worthy of death not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. The list of characteristics of end times and the soon coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that we read in the text in Second Timothy 3 is the result of a reluctance on the part of mankind to live out the design that God established for humanity. God established a specific structure in which society was to function. We identify that structure as the five divine institutions that are identified in Scripture. Volition, marriage, government, the church, uh, family, excuse me, Volition, marriage, family, government, and the church. Now, Satan has attacked each one of these divine institutions and continues in an attempt to, to destroy the society that God has diagrammed for us in which there might be a wholesome rearing of children and development of those children into adults and fostering them the plan of God. Time doesn't allow this morning for us to address each one of those divine institutions, but let me point out that which is going on right now uh, and is being viewed as our current events is being orchestrated by Satan himself in a deliberate attack against that social order that God established and volition Man's free will has been attacked in our day, in recent days, uh, during this period of time in a way that it has not been attacked before as there is an acceleration of Satan's uh, plan as he realizes uh, time is getting short. But today, I want to focus on God's design for the woman and her role in marriage, in family, in society, and in the church. Last Mother's Day, I assured you that there would be an attack on the observance of Mother's Day very soon, probably even an attempt to do away with it because it discriminates against some women. Some women don't want to be mothers, or some women can't be mothers, And it certainly discriminates against men while they are lowering the standard for men's stepping into women's roles today. uh, They have not yet been able to manage that so that a man could be a mother uh, and give birth. Uh, The attack has been such this year, however, that even uh, on national TV you hear not reference to mothers, but to the birthing person, the one that gave birth in an attempt to not discriminate against men or against those that are not mothers. So we've heard our vice president refer to the birthing person in place of motherhood, and we're seeing more and more that attack. So it's time for us to once again look at the biblical role that God has established for motherhood and for the woman. You can't separate the physical, the soul, and the spiritual design of a woman 
from any of the roles that God has designed her and actually appointed her in which to serve. We're often quick to marvel at the masterful design of the woman, and yet at the same time we're reticent to interpret that same design as being purposeful and specific so that she can live out the roles that God designed. When you examine the biological and anatomical makeup of the female homo sapien, you're struck with the uniqueness and intricacy, I can't say it, I shouldn't use it, of God's design. <clears throat> we observe the, the essence of her body, of her soul, and of her spirit, and marvel at the suitability that is there for the design that God has set forth in her role as a mother. It's interesting, in the animal world, the male is the creature that is the most beautiful and appealing to the eye, but in the human world, it's the woman. And God has a unique design in all that, and we have to interpret that suitability for the design in order to understand the roles to be filled in marriage and especially then within the structure of the family, as well as in the association of the church. God designed a woman to be a responder. The development of language has affirmed this. In the Koine Greek language in the New Testament, if a word is masculine, it identifies an initiator. If it is feminine, it identifies a responder. When you go into a Greek language class today, uh, sometimes they will ignore completely the gender of the word. Other times they may comment, there was a time in which the gender of the word had some grammatical effect, but that's all been lost in this day and age. Well, it's been lost on purpose. <laughs> because it makes a distinction between the male and the female. We recognize the detail of Scripture is part of God's divine design. Not everyone who handles the Word of God believes that the grammar is part of the divine inspiration, and hence there is that liberty to modify it and change it, just like in seminaries today, uh, there is that tendency not to read the Word and teach it as it's written, but to give an oral storytelling of the Word so you can modify it so as not to offend someone in the congregation or modify it to fit the culture of those people that you're ministering to. The problem has generated from the fact that we just cannot seem to get across the point that a distinction in function does not make a distinction in value. Anytime you talk about function, we immediately want to identify and set to that some sense of values and uh, so that has resulted in a reluctance on the part of many to embrace the diagramming and structure of the family. Human viewpoint, replacing divine viewpoint, distorts this issue so that we cannot talk about any activity or any function without immediately assigning to it a degree of value and that is so damning to the presentation of God's design for the mother and her role in the family. We go back to the creative act in Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 27. God said, well, let me begin with verse 26. God said, let us make man in our own, in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. 
So the book of Genesis records the creative act of God, including the creation of both man and woman. It says God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. There's nothing incidental in the Word of God. Every word, every dot, every tittle has an application and a meaning. And this statement was made in chapter 1 in Genesis. And when we get to chapter 2, we have a parenthesis that takes us, the writer takes us back. Uh, and in the narrative then, he tells us that God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. He gave Adam a few tasks to accomplish before he formed the woman. But the creative act in chapter 1 identifies the creation of both male and female at the same time. And this becomes evident when we look at the act of the forming of the woman. God removed the rib from the side of Adam to form or to build the woman. The key to our understanding is that the word rib is feminine in the Hebrew. And that very masculine body of the perfect man created by God himself and formed by the very hands of God out of the dust of the ground, within that body was a feminine rib. Because, as we have frequently said, woman was not an afterthought in the plan of God, but she was in the original design of God. God would take that rib from the side of the man and he would form the woman. She was part of his original design and provided right there at that act of creation of the male body. Within that male body was inserted a feminine rib from which God would form man. We're told in Second Timothy 2.13 that for Adam was first formed and then Eve. The word is formed, not created. There's an equality established immediately as both man and woman are identified as mankind and created at the same moment. Genesis 2.18, And the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. That word meet means fit. It's from the Hebrew word Izir. And it originally meant to, to surround totally. Uh, it came colloquially and idiomatically to mean to fit in every way. Man is created body, soul, and spirit. And so if there is to be a perfect fit, then the woman must also be created body, soul, and spirit. And they interact and relate to one another. In Genesis 2.21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh instead thereof, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Now, God's description here of the making of the woman and bringing her to the man, he does not use any of the three words that were used in his description of the creation of mankind and of of creating he, him, male and female, creating he, them. For in the creation of Adam and Eve and the body of Adam, we are told that God uh, created out of nothing, brought into existence out of nothing man. The word created by Ra, meaning to bring into existence out of nothing. And then we are told that he asad the man. And the word asad means to manufacture out of existing material. And then we are told he formed man, yatser, that is to give the man physical shape. When it comes to making the woman, those words are not reiterated. Because the rib was already in that 
form of Adam and uh, the creation act and provision had been given there. He uses a completely different word that's translated made. He out of the rib made he the woman. And that's the word bana, and it means to engineer, to build, uh, to engineer and to build. It's the word that would be used in the uh, building of a DNA and, uh, and the structuring of that. The DNA of the woman was in the body of the man, in the act of creation with bara and asa and yatser. But when it came time to separate them, then for their distinctive roles, he uses the word bana. Woman was created for man, but don't get lost in that statement. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 8 and 9 says, For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Now, if your human viewpoint gets in the way here, you may resent Paul for writing that, but remember he wrote under the divine inspiration of God, and uh, he's talking about the, the completeness of man. We had that uniqueness when the provision for her was made in the body of Adam originally, and so now has come the time to separate that and design for them for each of the functions that God has given them uh, to serve. Uh, men are incomplete without the woman. And so uh, we also need to note that in 1 Corinthians 11, 11 and, and 12, it says, Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so the man also is by the woman. But all things... Of God. This is God's plan and God's structure. So there's a distinction in the terms for the woman, for the woman is of the man, and the statement even so is the man also by the woman. The literal statement is that the woman is out from the source of man, identifying the removal of the rib. And the man is by the instrumentality of the woman. Physical birth is by the instrumentality of the woman. So the woman uh, has uh, that equality with the man in the structure that God has set up. But the roles are specific. And in verse 10 of the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote this, For this cause... Ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Now the word power is authority. It's a covering. Her covering is a sign that she is under the authority of her husband. Why? Because of the angels. What's the angels got to do with this situation? Well, remember that there is a reason that we are here. We explored that again a few weeks ago, that the reason we are here on planet Earth, the reason man was created by God, is to settle the angelic conflict. Where Satan challenged the authority of God and was defeated and sentenced to the lake of fire and brimstone and appealed his case, and now we are created by God to settle that appeal and the role of the woman and the role of the man in the distinctive structure that God has established is part of the evidence of God's grace and God's design. And so the woman is to live out the design that God has for her as assigned to the angels of the authority structure that God has established and the provision that he made in his grace not only for the angels but for mankind as well 
1 Corinthians 6, 3 says, Know ye not that we shall judge the angels? And Jude 6 says, The angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. So all the women are equal to men. She is to model this submission to the man in the same relationship that we have submission to Christ on part of the church as a testimony and as an evidence to the fallen angels. She's equal, but she has the role of modeling that submission. It's for that reason that in the rapture, following the rapture, you remember we, the body of Christ, becomes the bride of Christ. And someone says, well, well, what's to keep sin from manifesting itself in heaven once again after we've gone through all this process? And the answer is because as in marriage, the commitment on the part of the woman is to trust her free will to the man and his position of authority in the rapture of the church as we come, become the bride of Christ No longer do we have that free will. We have made a commitment and it is binding and our nature is going to be changed so that we're in conformity with it and there won't be the resistance that we might naturally have to it today. Genesis 3.16 says, Unto the woman, he said, and this is the Lord speaking to the woman at the fall, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Thy desire shall be to thy husband. This is an imperative command. From now on, you are to desire your husband, and he shall rule over you. This establishes the premise for our understanding our relationship with God throughout eternity as a result of Christ becoming the bridegroom and our role as his bride. In Ephesians 5:22 and 23, it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now look at the comparisons. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. The word as means in exactly the same way. The wife is to submit to the husband's role as governor in the same way. Not king, but governor in the same way she submits. In the same way that the church submits to the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice it says, in everything, this is the structure for society and life today. But God's design has to be taught because of sin in the world. It was natural before the fall. You don't find any uh, vows of this nature on the part of the woman. I promise to submit to your role as my husband You don't find anything like that with Eve and Adam because sin had not yet touched. But after the sin, then there is the command to the woman. And it illustrates the relationship that we're going to have with Christ as our Savior in eternity. And so today, this must be taught. As a matter of fact, in Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, Paul writing to Titus says, The aged women likewise, that they may be in behavior as becometh holiness, and not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, to be chaste, to be keepers at home, to be good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So the woman is commanded uh, to submit, uh, although she's not commanded to love her husband, he's the one that that makes that, uh, that sacrificial love 
as part of their relationship. And nowhere in the Bible is the woman commanded, but she is to be taught how to love her husband and how to love her children. And it's there that the church breaks down. And my focus this morning is not how she is to be taught how to love her husband, but how to love the children. It was natural in original creation. But the further we get from the Word of God and the further we get from the design of God and the more we get into the unisex movement, the less ability there is on the part of the woman to to love her children. That is a taught process. Now, God has provided for that in her original design, but sin has perverted that. So the older women are to teach the younger women to be sober, to have a responsive love to their husbands, and a responsive love to their kids. Actually, the word philotechnus means kid lovers. They are to love their children. And it is a response. They are to love their children in response to the needs of their children and to love them as such to be discreet, to be chaste, to be keepers at home, to be good, to be obedient to their own husbands, in order that the Word of God be not blasphemed. Now, the Word of God is terribly blasphemed today in our structure and society. And a lot of that is because we have broken down the distinction of the roles. The woman's love is to be a responsive love, responding to her husband's needs, but responding to her children's needs, and giving them that nurture. The description of that kind of love on the part of the mother is identified for us in Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 through 31. It says, Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax, and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She bringeth her food from afar. That didn't say from McDonald's in a car. (laughs) A little different approach to it there. She riseth also while it is yet night, and giveth meat to her husband, and a portion to her maiden. And now, excuse my wife from doing that. I'm to give me a portion of meat in the night. I'd rather wait till morning. <laughs> she riseth also while it is night, giving meat to her household and a portion to her maiden. She considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands, she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good, her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hand to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hands to the poor, yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates." Volumes, of course, have been written concerning those laws, uh, those lines, but we would do well to remember them and to promote them as well. Attitudes are reflected in appearances. 
And First Peter chapter 3, verses 3-4 through 4 says, Speaking of the woman, let her adorning be that outward adorn, not that outward adorning of plaiting of the hair and of the wearing of the gold or of putting on of apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is great price. So Peter sets forth the same basic instruction that Paul provides in First Timothy, but Peter stresses the importance on the part of the woman of the inner beauty of the wife or the mother. It's clearly observable that a little paint and powder can turn a desert into a rose garden. I don't object to that, and I don't see any objection to that in Scripture. But the focus is to be inward. The hidden man of the heart. That's a reference to the spirit that is born at salvation. The new creature that the woman becomes in Christ Jesus. And Peter kind of helps define the emphasis by saying that that adornment should not be that which is corruptible, but it should be the the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit. Now, the word meek means gentle. The word quiet from the Greek word means tranquility, uh, a peace that arises from within. So Satan's attack upon society, and he knows this word well, is clearly evident today in the unisex look and now the unisex acceptance that has blurred the distinction in appearances uh, and in performances uh, between the sexes. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5, the woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto the man, neither shall the man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. An abomination, that's, that's a strong word for disgusting. It's disgusting to God. So the principle of distinction is one that God set forth to protect our society. And, of course, in the change of attitudes and in the change of acceptability, all too often not only has the church followed, but the church has led the way. The emphasis concerning dress and appearance is not one that we can legislate or establish. Now, there are some... Baptist preachers that I'm familiar with that uh, will make an issue. They, they've got sermons titled uh, uh, Don't Ride Bull Widen Britches. You know, the women that wear bull riding britches, you ought not to wear them. But that's not something we can legislate, nor a church can establish as some kind of dress code or standard. It all begins on the inside. And what we need to understand is the tremendous influence that is being lost in our society today by mothers moving out of the home and turning over the care, the care of their children to the, the do I dare say it, <laughs> uh, the gestures in our school system to be taught a woke uh, society is and to be formed and fashioned out of that. Uh, God made us equal, male and female, and uh, yet he has assigned us distinct roles, and the mothers are missing from the home in so many of our homes in society today that that influence, that counsel, that tenderness, that nurturing, that love, they are missing completely. And it's in these formative years as they are being shaped for society and it just regresses more with each generation. 
when the man or the woman is out of their designated position, the divine institutions do not function properly. Have you paid any attention to how many women there are in Congress? How many women there are as governors? How many women there are as um, senators and that serve as mayors? It's not, they say, well, I'm better qualified. Better qualified, but you can't pass the physical. God has established roles for us. And uh, our society has not given the emphasis of the value of motherhood and that starts in the church. Because what we see in our society today generally originates with the thinking in the church. Years ago I made the statement on the air on the radio program that that uh, the church had lost its influence. And then that was one of those impromptu ad lib things that popped out. And during that week, I got to thinking about what I said, and I realized it was not true. It's not that the church has lost its influence. Now, there has been a decrease in the influence of the church. I acknowledge that. But it's because the church changed its message. We departed from the fundamentals of the Word of God and helped this unisex movement to generate much faster and departed from the roles that God established. We have turned over the responsibility of the children to caretakers, to to child care services, and now to the school system and both then are substitutes for real motherhood and do not follow the biblical principle. Sharon was talking this morning. There are some great examples of motherhood in the Bible. And certainly there are. And those should be the model. But no, we have bought into a society. Well, it's different now. It's a different culture. I was doing a study on women's roles in the church and one of our students went to a church uh, in Camarillo and he was there on the campus and he came in and he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm working on some study. And he said, what study? And I told him and he said, well, give me, when you get that done, I'd like to have a copy of that. Our church needs to deal with that because we have women that are in places of authority uh, almost in every realm that are over men. And so I gave him a copy of it and uh, he came back a little later and said, I said, well, how did it go? He took it to the Board of Elders and he said, well, it didn't go very well. But he said they appointed someone to rebut your paper. And... uh, I said, oh, they did. And he said, yeah. And he named the man that they had appointed. He was one of our students as well. And not only a student, but he taught uh, a class on campus. And uh, so he came to me and he said, how can I rebut that? What you've given is scripture and, and you've laid it out. Could I explain it away as a change in culture? Well, he had been a pastor. He wasn't pastoring now, not not to be. But no, we are to set the standard for our culture. America was founded on Christian principles with these basics. And certainly, there were, it was perverted, it was abused. Their women were relegated uh, in many cultures. Uh, to less value because men didn't recognize and hadn't been taught and hadn't embraced and accepted that roles have nothing to do with value. And it's that trumpet that we need to sound today. 
But we need to give thanks for godly women that serve according to the design that God has provided. And if this reversal of Roe versus Wade stands, and it looks like it will, the church is going to have an added responsibility to train young pregnant women to be mothers. They've got some instincts. They've got a natural design, but it's been obscured and whitewashed by society today. But of course, it all begins at salvation. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, With the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the beginning. And then you and I, as believers, need to have an influence through the Word of God. We need to train young women, young ladies to motherhood, releasing the natural creative abilities that God gave them that have become now dormant because of the pressure of society within our own culture as Christians. We need to be about that. If you're going to stop abortion, And you need to set up training centers, the churches, for mothers to be trained to motherhood. All right, let's close with hymn number 414.